Welcome, everybody. I uh, hope you can hear us all. We have another great clinic lined up for you today. This is Hunter Boyle, Managing Editor of Marketing Experiments. Uh, we are sending our best get well wishes to Flynn McLaughlin today, who is a little bit under the weather, and we are hoping that he will rejoin us, if not later in this broadcast, then for our next clinic. As you know, our topic today is what's working now, new tests and a 346% gain. We have a pretty full house, and there's been a great turnout. We've had over 1,600 registrants, and we have a lot of information to cover, so we're going to dive right into it. I am going to briefly introduce our speakers for today, and we will get underway. If you uh, haven't been on our clinics before, Please note that we try to make these as interactive as possible, and we invite you to use the Q&A here and go to webinar and send us your comments, questions uh, throughout the presentation. Please just know that we are, again, uh, we have a full house today, so if you don't get an immediate response, you'll know why. So on the call today, we have uh, a number of analysts and researchers from the Marketing Experiments team. Uh, Aaron Rosenthal, our Director of Channels, Jimmy Ellis, our Director of Optimization, two of our senior researchers, Andy Mott and Gina Townsend. And what we'll be covering today is uh, a little bit different than what we've done in the past. We've decided to take a number of, uh, uh, a number of tests and try and distill them into answering a question that often comes up from our surveys which is, uh, you know, we see a lot of what's not working when we do our live optimization clinics, and one of the requests we get frequently is to see examples of what is working. So what we did was took a slice from the marketing experiments conversion sequence and looked at three recent tests, and what we're going to cover today is how applying friction to certain pages can make a huge difference in how it's made significant gains in the test that we've seen, including a 346% increase in conversion. These tests that we'll be looking at today with uh, Andy and Gina, Jimmy and Aaron, will walk through lead generation and e-commerce so that everybody can get a little bit of uh, some insights and some takeaway principles. And what we're going to do now is move on to the next slide really briefly and just kind of introduce the concepts. Uh, slide should be changing for you in just a second. There we go. If you look at these, and I just want to give a quick shout-out to our graphic design team for putting these together. If you, uh, if you happen to be with us last September, we had a lead generation playbook clinic with Brian Carroll, uh, which kind of introduced this concept, and it wasn't an amazing graphic. We had an empty box for dial A and an empty box for dial B. We've since upgraded that, and what you're seeing here is the visual representation of the marketing experiments two-dial approach to applying friction in lead generation. On the left, you have the quantity dial, and on the right, you have the quality dial. And this is going to be very important in looking at the tests that we're reviewing today. So you'll be able to see how we've used this in some of our experiments with research partners and how that has led to gains in both quality and quantity of leads without sacrificing too much of one or the other. So we're going to get into some of the tests that we uh, used this principle with. And at this point, I'm going to turn it over to our senior researcher, Andy Mott, to describe our first case study and walk you through. Andy, are you there? I am. Thanks, Hunter. Uh, so we'll start by looking at the next slide here. Uh, actually, if you want to even go, uh, go one more, because, Hunter, you already covered this concept of uh, yeah, the dials here for quantity and quality. So we'll jump right into the case study. Uh, for a little bit of background, the, the research partner that we were working with uh, was a uh, uh, a company that did, uh, as it says here, integrated industrial intelligence products. Uh, their web strategy, their entire web strategy is lead generation. So that's what we are focusing on. Uh, they came to us with the problem of uh, wanting to increase their number of qualified leads. And uh, we initially uh, looked at, the, uh, at their registration process to 
uh, see what, what they were currently doing and, and see what, uh, what we could do to help. So we'll uh, look at the next slide here. Uh, just a little bit of uh, background, additional background here for this, uh, for this company. We, uh, we did a thorough competitive analysis, as we do with all of our research partners, uh, when we began this project. And we realized that this, uh, the strategy that they were using for lead generation uh, was pretty standard in their industry. And so because we found so much opportunity to, uh, to conduct research and, research and give them significant gains for them, uh, we, we realized that there was a, a way to give them some uh, pretty significant competitive advantage, and that's what uh, we tried to do throughout these, uh, these first two cases. So here on this slide you can see the, uh, the way that we set up the test, which was they had a, a particular page that, uh, uh, that they used as a registration page for people who wanted to download content from their website. Uh, they had it uh, set up as a, a single registration form and then onto a confirmation. And we uh, decided to uh, test uh, manipulating friction by increasing it to see if we could end up with higher quality leads on the other end of the path. So on the next slide, there's, uh, you can visualize this. So we had, uh, uh, you can see here their control was a, uh, uh, was a, a series of uh, fields here, a very standard looking registration form, and then the second step was the confirmation screen. Uh, a relatively simple change was made for our first test, which was to just take the uh, first last name and email fields and put them into step one, and then leave all the remaining fields on step two. So, uh, so at the end of step two, uh, you ended up with the same amount of information as you would have ended up with had they completed the whole form on step one. So uh, not a real radical change. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide here so you can see the results of this test. Uh, as you can see, uh, a very minor relative difference of 0.02%, uh, which we initially thought was uh, an inconclusive test that we needed to move on to, uh, to another one. But uh, the more we looked at it, uh, the more we, we considered that there was maybe a better impact uh, to what we've done here than what we, what we initially saw on the surface of the results. So what we can see here is that since the difference is, is, ne is negligible, uh, we did not really uh, increase nor decrease the total number of leads, of qualified leads, uh, they had at the end of this process. But what we had done is captured additional names uh, that could be remarketed to for the people who fell out during step one. So uh, let me show you on the next slide here. It's, uh, it, it explains it a little bit uh, more clearly. Uh, here's what we were doing. In the cloud, we have uh, all the visitors uh, to the site. And, and uh, those folks who want to download something go into this low friction email capture that everybody's used to seeing. Uh, there's really no reason not to go ahead and enter your email address if you want to download their, their content. So then we capture that information. We call those, uh, those people stage one leads. So if you abandon at that point, you know, we've still got your name, we've got your email address, and we have the ability to uh, remarket to you to try and get you back into the lead generation process to get you the content that you had uh, requested to download. Uh, but if you don't fall out, if you, if you continue with the additional questions we have on step two in that high friction step, which has a lot more qualification questions when you're asking things like, what's your budget, what's your job title, your function, those kinds of questions, at the end of that, we have a, a high-quality lead uh, that is then uh, something that can be transferred to the sales team to begin to uh, start making uh, sales calls. So marketing retains the ability to remarket to the stage one leads to try and get them into a, uh, a high-quality uh, phase. And then the sales team has uh, only the best leads to deal with uh, so that they're not uh, uh, cluttering their time with people who haven't given them the minimum information. So... Uh, let's uh, show you the results here. The results were, uh, as you can see here, if we look at total number of leads, we went from uh, 157 in the short time this test ran to 232, it's a 47.7% increase in number of leads. So we only slightly increased the amount of friction. But still by doing that, we were able to increase the total number of leads that we were able to generate for this company by 47.7%. So that was the first test. Uh, Hunter, did you have anything you wanted to add on that first test? Yeah, actually, Andy, it's, uh, it's great. We've seen a couple of questions for people who are looking at, uh, who had asked about 
how many leads we're talking about here. We're showing that with the results now. I just want to ask the audience if they could use their Q&A uh, and give us a sense of about how many leads you might expect from a page like this of your own. Is this uh, lead quantity, how does this fit with what your own sites are experiencing? Is this uh, a little bit more, a little less? Is this in sort of the same ballpark for our attendees today? Just use your Q&A and, and tell us, Bob says, in line, around 200 leads, a little bit less, 30 to 40 per day, right around the same number in line. Some are more, some are less similar, 50 a month, okay, in the ballpark. Okay, great. So it seems like a lot of uh, a lot of people here are saying this is pretty similar to where they're at, a little bit more, a little less, give and take. And uh, I think what you're going to see in the next case that uh, Andy is going to talk about is a way that takes this process to an even higher level. And Andy, if you want to start with uh, the introduction to that, we'll move the slide along. And I'll get back to talking about the second test. Thanks, Hunter. Uh, so this is the, the same research partner moving on to a different type of test with the information that we learned from test one. So we understand their customer behavior uh, as far as how much friction they're willing to tolerate and what we're able to do with our, uh, with our first test. So we wanted to, instead of just looking at the registration page, we wanted to put that in the context, in a bigger context, of uh, their entire download process from where they found the content they wanted to download to where they registered and were able to get it. So uh, here on this slide, you can see the, the structure. The original structure was uh, they had the, uh, the uh, download landing page, which was you know, a product information. From there, they went to portal login. Then the stage one, you know, they had to say, I'm not a member, let's, uh, you know, I need to register. From there they went into the stage one and stage two process we described before and then on to confirmation. So it was a, a really a five-step process uh, that, uh, that they were currently using to collect leads. So uh, uh, we made some changes by just, you know, cutting out the portal login and stage one portal page as separate steps and uh, uh, assimilating that stage one lead information, that name and email address, onto the content request page or the download landing page. Uh, so on the, on the next slide, you can uh, see what that looks like, which was, uh, you know, needless to say, it is a, uh, a, a long process. There you see the, the four steps uh, from the, uh, the portal login page all the way through the one and two step process on the top and there on the second, it's uh, the product information page with the name and email fields right on it uh, with the relevant call to action that moves from there into our uh, higher friction uh, second step uh, process to generate the high qualified leads. So uh, I want to take a little bit closer look at the control here on the next slide. Okay, so uh, here, as I alluded to a moment ago, you can see that uh, you started with a, uh, a product page that said, click here to download. And then you click that, and the connection is, I'm at portal login now. So the, the change in, or the wording that's there in the call to action is, is a little bit of, of confusing because it goes through you know, what you really want, which is to download content, to log in, to register, uh, you have to find the the area you know of the site to go to to register yourself if you didn't know where it was before. It really was was quite a confusing process. So the easing of friction here didn't just happen in reducing the number of steps, but it also happened with manipulating uh, elements here on on the page to make it more intuitive and control the the sequence of thoughts in the in the customer's mind to connect with what they were expecting all the way through the process. So we'll go ahead and move on to the next slide and then uh, start to talk about uh, the results of this experiment. Okay, actually, uh, here's a, uh, I skipped a step in my mind, sorry about that. Uh, this is the, uh, the control page versus the, uh, the treatment page. So step three in the control was, remember back to the experiment we just explained, was that stage one name and email capture. Here, in our new treatment, where we're taking the entire path into, uh, into consideration in this experiment, it becomes step one. So uh, 
let's go ahead and take a look at the results. The results uh, for this experiment were pretty remarkable, needless to say. We saw an immediate improvement on day one when we, when we launched this experiment. Uh, and then in a very short period of time, we, we were able to get, uh, a, as you can see here, a significant increase in the, uh, in the number of uh, qualified leads they received, 364%. So by doing the first experiment to understand how their customers would respond to increases in friction, and then doing a more holistic test, taking the entire path into consideration and manipulating friction appropriately, we were able to increase the number of qualified leads that this research partner had by 364%. Thanks, Andy. That's, that's an excellent explanation of both of those case studies. I want to take a second here because we've been getting a, a lot of Q&A, and, &A and uh, I'm going to throw some of these to you uh, and to Gina and to uh, Jimmy and Aaron as well, if they're on the line. And um, a couple that I had seen come through uh, regarding the first test was, was this a random 50-50 split between two pages? This was a question from Sandy. Uh, yeah, this is Andy. Uh, yes, it was. It was a standard A-B split test. On the first case study, someone had asked, uh, what was the quality of leads on the 47%? Speak to that a little bit. Sure. The, let me make sure I understand the question. Are, are we talking about the quality of the, of the stage two leads or the stage one leads? Yes. Uh, I believe the quality of the stage two leads within the 47.7% difference. Okay. Uh, those, the feedback that we received from the research partner is that they were the same quality of the leads they were receiving before. So they didn't say, you know, they, they didn't uh, tell us that there was a, a marked increase in quality. What they remarked, there, or what they told us was that they, was that they were uh, the same. Just for an, uh, an extra bit of context here, in terms of the sales cycle on this, and this was a pretty recent test, so the leads uh, themselves were probably still pretty fresh, um, so we might know more about how those actually completed further on, and that might make for kind of a follow-up case study. Is that possible? Uh, that would be possible. Uh, this particular company, uh, the leads they were generating were for a, a very complex sale, a uh, very long sales cycle, so uh, it'll be, unfortunately, months before we're able to put dollars uh, behind these percentages, but... Uh, uh, that, that has been one of the objectives of this test all along was to measure these, uh, these leads all the way through the sales cycle. So uh, once we get that feedback uh, from the research partner, I think we'd be happy to share it. Excellent. Uh, I think one other question before we move on. This was from uh, Shanna, which uh, the question was, what is the conversion in this case? And this is a good question because it, it helps us with our lead gen on this one before we shift over to the e-commerce side. Uh, that might be good to clarify. What constitutes a conversion? Is that the question? Uh, yes. Uh, so for case two, we said a conversion is when someone completes the second, when they become a stage two lead. That's what we're, what we're comparing here. So once they have completed the entire process and actually answered all of the, the questions on the high friction step, we counted that as a conversion. So let me just uh, let me just elaborate that, or make sure that I'm clear. Uh, a conversion is, is, in this case is a lead, correct? It's not a sale. That's correct. Or a conversion is a lead. Okay. Thanks, Aaron. Good qualification or clarification. Uh, one last question uh, from Betsy, which was, where did leads come from uh, for this campaign? Was it email? How are users? Uh, driven, how did they arrive at the test pages? Uh, the majority of the traffic that, uh, that the test got was from natural search. Uh, so it was, uh, we didn't launch a specific campaign to drive uh, traffic to this. It was just their standard, everyday natural search traffic. Great. Uh, I have one question now for the audience as we have uh, kind of blazed through some of these. We've answered some of the questions. Uh, as Flynn likes to do sometimes, he likes to throw out a question to the audience and ask how we're doing uh, with pacing. Are you getting uh, the information there? Uh, are you, 
you know, are you learning at a speed that you're comfortable with? Uh, how are we doing here for you? Pace is good, pace is good, speed fine, great, a little bit faster, a little fast, okay. All right, great. Now, please keep in mind that, again, with, uh, with all these Q&A submissions, if there are some good questions, uh, we will try and capture some of these and try and answer them in a follow-up post on Marketing Experiments blog. So please continue to send them in. If you don't get an answer directly, uh, you'll know why, and we will try and capture some of these and uh, have some, uh, some of these answers to some of the most incisive questions posted to the blog later. Uh, and now with that, to kind of wrap up this first part of the segment and, and review what we've been talking about here so far, uh, friction as it applies to marketing and as we use it in the marketing experiments, conversion sequence indicates a psychological resistance to given element in the sales process. And you've probably heard this uh, from us several times and you know what friction means. What's important to remember today is that while most of the time we talk about reducing friction, there are instances where it can be useful. And as this key point mentions, it's not always destructive. There are ways to test it. There are ways to use it constructively. And there are ways to go back to uh, the dial, uh, dial A, dial B metaphor, use friction to your advantage. And with that said, we are going to move on to another case study, this one that deals with e-commerce. And I want to introduce this with another concept that you've probably heard us talk about a little bit more recently. Uh, this is what we call the conversion fulcrum. And the fulcrum here is indicated by the red triangle at the bottom. On the one side, you have your value proposition, your incentive, what we call your value contributor, contributors. And on the other side, you have friction and anxiety, your value inhibitors. And what you do with your page elements and what you do when you set up your sites and your campaigns is you try and negotiate the balance of these. What you want to try and achieve is the second, where the value proposition and incentive is much heavier and greatly outweighs the friction and anxiety. So we will, uh, we will move on from the fulcrum right now. We'll look at another case study. This one deals with e-commerce. And I want to just throw this over to Gina Townsend, our senior researcher. Gina, are you there? I am. Thanks, Hunter. Hey, take it away. Okay. So with this case study, um, what we, uh, we were looking at was an e-commerce partner uh, that sells exterior windows, window treatments, and hardware. So basically the partner approached us and wanted us to help them increase their online conversion. Um, so what we did was we analyzed some of their data, we optimized, and then we tested um, a redesigned order path. So I guess let's go ahead and uh, move on to the next slide so I can show you the test structure. Okay, so as you can see by looking at this test structure, um, what we ran was a sequential test. Now with the sequential test, what we did was we ran 100% of the traffic to the control path for 30 days, and then followed that up with 100% of the traffic to this treatment path for the next 30 days. And as you can see by looking at the product process, um, this uh, test um, included three steps of the process. So let's go ahead and look at the control in a little bit more detail. Okay, so as you can see in, in looking at this task, um, initially what we noticed um, in looking at the, the landing page, which is the first page over here on the left, is that it's not very intuitive how you move through the process. There's no specific clear direction on how you go through the process. Um, and there's also, on the landing page, the page on the left, there's a lot of content to digest. Um, and there's no headline introducing you to that process. So um, the main objective is just is not, in the, it's not in the direct iPath. So let's go ahead and we'll move on to the, um, to the treatment path. And one thing I want to point out when we're looking at the treatment path, um, the majority of the partner's traffic is organic. 
uh, organic search traffic. So as you can see, we were not able to remove any of the links, and we had to keep the majority of the content on the page. So that's why um, w mainly what we did is we tried to reorganize some of that content and also structure it in a way to guide the user through the process. So on the first step, the landing page, on the left, you can see that we've included step one. Um, we've also introduced the page with the headline because the previous process did not have a headline. And then on the second step, again, we introduced it with a step two, telling them exactly what we need them to do on that page. Followed the, the same uh, process on the, the third step. Okay, let's move on to the next slide. All right, so looking at the control landing page in a little bit more detail, what you can see is that there's a great deal of information on this page. There's two columns of content. The first column, uh, in between the navigation and the right column, in the middle, basically lists all the information about this, these specific shutters. And um, over on the right-hand side, uh, typically where you would include supporting information is actually where you need to click on this page to get to the next step of the process. Um, another thing to notice, there's links on this page that are just very inconsistent. Um, there's blue text links, there's red text links. So it was, you know, it was a little unclear uh, what you needed to click on on this page. So that was one of the areas that we wanted to optimize as well. So let's go ahead and we'll look at the treatment process, the treatment landing page. Okay. So as you can see, what we've done here is we've added a headline and a subheadline to reinforce the purpose of the page. So on this page, you're here to purchase shutters. So this, the first step is listed right here, step one. Click on a Mid-America vinyl shutter below. So it's telling you specifically what you need to do. And this is right in the, in the iPath, the main objective. So also what we've done is we've no longer, we no longer have a two-column layout. We now just have all the information in a one column. So the main objective is listed first, and then the supporting material is listed underneath that. All right, let's look at the second step of the process. Okay, so when you land on the second step of the process for the control task, as you can see on the left, uh, the, what you see first when you land on the page is select another style. Well, immediately, uh, that is going to induce friction in the mind of the user because they're thinking, is this style not available? Why do I need to select another style? But as you, when you look further down the page, you can see that it's telling you to, collect, to uh, select your style. So it, it's just kind of confusing. So what we did was reor reorganize this. So first, we have step two, click on a, the panel that you know, you're interested in. And then below that, below the shutters, we have a text link where the user can actually click if they decided that they want to go back and choose another style. So we simplify that process as well. All right, so as Dr. Philip McLaughlin would say, we do not optimize landing pages, but we optimize the thought process. So let's look at the thought process in a little bit more detail. Okay, well, I guess when the next slide pulls up. Okay, so basically what this slide is going to show you is how we simplify this, this thought process. So basically, where am I? And as you can see in the control on the right, it's very confusing. Um, you know, there's a lot to do on this page, and there's a lot of content telling you, you know, why you should do it. So we've simplified that, and we've tried, and with that, we've also simplified the thought process. All right, let's look at the results for this test. Do you know one thing before we uh, before we move on? Uh, first of all, I want to say a uh, nice job with the Flint impression on the <laughs> thought process. Uh, uh, because this is a pretty important slide, I mean, it's one that we talk about a lot, the three questions, where am I, what can I do here, why should I do it? Uh, we look at this uh, in these two pages here. I just wanted to give Aaron and or Jimmy a chance to chime in uh, and add some things to this page here to see if, um, you know, if they had some thoughts that they wanted to cover while we're talking about the three questions. Aaron, Jimmy, are you there? I'm here. Let me, let me give it a shot. So, I mean, you can see all the arrows on the left, and 
what's happening is the customer is having to kind of process all this information. So, for example, where am I? At this point, it's not that difficult because the customer has already started most likely from the home page. The other thing that we already know is they're looking for shutters and outdoor treatment. So this first question isn't too difficult. It's mainly for the primary landing page, which would typically be for these guys. A lot of them start on the home page. So that one's not the most important, but obviously they know where they're at on the new page because we've done a better job with the subheadline on the page telling exactly where they're at. And then if you look at the second, what can I do here? That's for the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest gains are made because there are so many ways to get lost on the page on the left. Look at how many embedded text links that they have in that left-hand content throughout that content on the left. It goes all the way on the page. And even once you get on the right, you're not really sure what's clickable. Some of the details that we're not seeing, uh, not, not quite as good because, the, you know, we have these easy screenshots, is that, um, you know, under each one of those shutters are links, and then every shutter below that is also a link that can take you to different sections and different things that you can do on the site. On the one on the right, there's pretty much only one thing, one primary thing you can do, and we give you very clear instructions. It says, get price and ordering information in three easy steps. Step one, click on a Mid-America, I think it's Mid-America, vinyl shutter below. So we tell you exactly what to do at the very top of the page under a very clear subhead line and instruction. So in terms of trying to get the customer to the place we want them to go, which is going to be to select a shutter, it's much easier on the version on the right compared to the one on the left. So why should I do it? You know, these guys are looking for shutters. So our why should I do it? We're providing supporting information for the shutter type and brand on the right, but we're not putting that in front of that selection because people have not selected, you know, what type of shutter that they want yet. We're not trying, you know, we're, we're not closing the sale here. We're still kind of selecting the style. So this is just kind of what we were running through in terms of trying to understand what's going through the customer's head at this point in time. So I hope I didn't drag that out too long. No, let me let me add one more thing, and I, I think the biggest difference between the left and the right versions are the left version makes you slow down and think and try to process all these things. With the left version, all these questions become naturally. So it's the where am I? Am I in the right place? What can I do here? What should I do here? People are processing that information without even knowing it. The problem is with the control is that it's so scattered and there's so much uh, going on that it's un customers you're finding customers were unable to process that information in a natural manner. I got another famous line from Flint since we're doing Flint impressions. There's too much unsupervised thinking going on on the page on the left. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Great. If you wanna, sure, sure. If you want to, uh, if you want to put this somewhere on the fulcrum, the page on the left, uh, and the page on the right, where would you, where would you stick the page on the left on the fulcrum? Jim, where's the fulcrum? I can't see the fulcrum. You have to see it in your right. mind, Jimmy. We're out there mind right now. Get all the way tipped to the right. Friction anxiety. That's where it's going to be. There it's too right. difficult to get through there to even figure out what you want to do. Exactly. Great. Thank you. Uh, let's move on and just wrap up this case study with the results. Gina, if you're still there, uh, if you wanted to talk about the wrap-up results on that one. Sure. Um, what we saw with the initial control uh, pass test was a 1.95% conversion rate. And for the treatment, we had a 2.88%. So that was a relative difference of a 47.24%. So the treatment outperformed the control by 47%. Uh, basically, our, our optimization created greater fluidity on the page. And it became the flow of the information was just more natural and helped the process prospect thought process. So with helping the prospect process, we also increase conversion. Thank you, Gina. If, um, if your slide is coming up now, we've got some of the key takeaways here. And what I want to do is just run through some of these real quick as a review because we have quite a few Q&A. 
Uh, I want to just look at these briefly and then look at some of the transferable principles that we had talked about from these case studies. And then uh, it looks like we've got some time for a little bit of Q&A from the audience. So as you can see here, uh, we talk about how and where to reduce friction as well as how and where, or excuse me, where and how to increase friction. On the, on the side of reducing friction, uh, some things to remember, clear, intuitive, we all know what clarity trumps, uh, keeping it usable. On the side of increasing friction, one of the important things to remember is gradually increasing and, and using these different steps as far as tests go and as far as adding different friction elements to your pages. We'll touch on this in some of the Q&A that uh, I've seen as well. Um, someone had asked about using friction as a way to, quote, unquote, uh, weed out worthless leads. I think that question came from Michael. Uh, and there's absolutely a lot, of, uh, a lot of use to that as far as setting the bar. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the Q&A. In the next slide, some of these transferable principles you can see here. Reviewing pages and processes individually as well as in context with your various channels. This is one way to, to think about the dials in a larger context, not just on the page, but in the different steps. Uh, we talk a lot about that in terms of continuity and congruence in the conversion sequence. There's also a piece here about making sure your friction is deliberate that it's not being used incidentally or by accident. This is, again, where you want to create and test friction, minimize it, and then add it with the dials incrementally. That's one way that we've often used that. We've seen that in some of these tests as well as others that we've covered. And another key point is keeping, as far as e-commerce pages go, keeping the friction to a level where the information is not redundant that it's clarifying. And this, again, goes back to the dials theory. Sometimes redundancy, quote, unquote, can be a good thing when it comes to the higher ticket items or things that need more of an explanation. Uh, you may uh, try and overcompensate. But those are, again, things that you can test with your friction. And then the last one, of course, is um, optimizing the thought processes, not just page elements. Jimmy, Aaron, Andy, Gina, I want to ask you if you uh, want to jump in and add anything to some of these takeaways and principles here. And I won't stump anyone again with the fulcrum question, I promise. Uh, this is Andy. I'll, I'll add one thing, uh, Hunter. Uh, I think that one of the most, predict most important things when you're talking about B2B customers and you're using friction in a, in a lead gen process and you are trying to increase lead gen is not to take your one-step process and blow it into a five-step process right away. Uh, the, the key takeaway for the B2B audience, uh, I believe, is doing this increase of friction incrementally. And you do it in very small chunks like we did in the first experiment that we, that we talked about so that you understand how your customer will respond to increases in friction. And then you just continually move that dial until you find the, the, that optimal spot. Yeah, Andy brings up a great point. And that, on that, it's, you don't know how much friction and how much, how much you know, if you're going to add a phone number, to a lead gen form, especially in the B2B audience. Um, you don't know how much friction that's going to add until you, until you test it. And you absolutely don't know what it's going to do to your lead quality to measure it. So you're going you're gonna to measure adding in these extra elements or extra steps um, in the process. And uh, you look at these, you know, Flint says this often, but look at these things as dials. You're trying to ratchet up the quality and also ratchet down the friction. And you're measuring the results um, from taking away from taking away elements, i.e., ratcheting down the friction, or adding elements, ratcheting up the quality. Thank you, Aaron. Listen, we have a lot of good Q&A coming through here, so uh, we are at a point where we've covered some of the key takeaways and the transferable principles. I'd like to try and uh, throw these questions out to our panel. 
And uh, we're actually getting an awful lot of questions today regarding testing. Uh, and I will preface some of these that I'm throwing out by saying uh, we will most likely be doing a new clinic on testing. We did one last fall, uh, and we are probably about due for another one. But some of these that kept coming through today uh, I think are important because a lot of people have asked them. So I'm going to pass a couple of these on. Uh, one question from Brandon was, for the sequential test, how do you uh, how do you avoid seasonality? Brandon, oh. I, I don't know if Bob Kemper's on the phone. He could probably give you an excellent answer. And if, if, if he's not on the phone, you probably should email um, uh, afterwards. Yeah. Okay. In my experience, and I'll let you I'll let you elaborate, Bob. In my experience, the only way to factor out for seasonality of these things when doing a sequential test, which is, sequential is obviously not the preferred uh, method of testing, but when you when you have to do a sequential, is to uh, is to alternate and spend, uh, go to the A iteration, or the control iteration, and then test with the B, and then, then back to the control, and then back to the B, until you have an appropriate sample to factor out the, the um, whether it's uh, seasonality, whether it's uh, just fluctuations in the day of the week, weekend versus weekday. Um, you, have to, you have to fluctuate that, um, that, that control, that, that moving, moving traffic to the treatment test or, or moving it back to the control. And, Bob, do you want to elaborate on that? Sure, thanks. Um, you, can, um, you can't control seasonality necessarily um, when you're doing a sequential test um, unless, as Aaron said, you can uh, switch back and forth. Um, and, you know, the, that would be um, if your testing capability prevents you from, from doing um, split testing. Um, then you can switch back and forth. Um, you can, however, um, detect seasonality um, by the right level of granularity for your data. So if you have, um, if you're doing a two-week test, um, if you can uh, get daily data, that gives you a sense for whether um, whether this is consistent over time. You can look at uh, at trends of key indicators to your success measures and identify uh, whether day-to-day. Um, and across uh, the test um, that the indicators are the same. If there's a lot of, um, of variance, you know, variation from day to day, um, you know, the seasonality can take the form of uh, weeks and months, as, as uh, you know, um, we traditionally talk about uh, the Christmas season. But seasonality can take, from a statistical standpoint, can, uh, can take the form of uh, weekdays versus weekends, uh, daytime versus nighttime, um, those are all considered uh, forms of, um, of seasonality. So you can certainly detect them, and there are, uh, are mathematical ways that you can, um, if you see predictable patterns, that you can filter them out and or adjust uh, for them, normalize, it's called normalization. So it's a, it's a very good question. Great. Thank you, Bob. Bob, Bob there's just, uh, while you're on the line, there's a related question. And again, I hope that people will keep sending these in. We're going to try and use these as fodder for the next uh, clinic that is based on testing. Um, but this question here, we've talked about this before in some other clinics, but maybe it's been a while. A question from Reed Phillips, are sequential tests statistic valid? Are there risks? Bob, do you want to take a crack at that one or Aaron, Jimmy? So this is akin to, to the, uh, the question that, that we were just talking about. Um, the kinds of threats that are associated with sequential tests are uh, mainly history effects um, of, the, of the key uh, factors. They're mainly history effects, and those are things that, um, uh, that cause changes um, outside of the um, context of the things that we can control for. Um, things like um, what we used to term Wall Street Journal effect, um, which is um, you know something interesting happens uh, in the news and it causes the motivations of people arriving uh, at the page to change. Have, their perceptions are different. What they're looking for is different as a result of some event that that uh, has occurred um, and um, and 
uh, cause the traffic that's arriving in the page during the course of the test or between uh, the, the two test intervals um, has caused the nature of the uh, um, of the income traffic to change. And um, and history effects are very difficult to uh, you know unlike seasonal effects which we can uh, frequently uh, normalize out um, if, or detect and remove. Uh, the, the period that um, uh, that could cause the validity to be at risk. Um, uh, history effects are very difficult to uh, to predict and to normalize out, and uh, in fact um, impact the, the validity of the test. We, we, uh, when they occur, um, most of the time, what we need to do is, is simply retest. Hey Bob, have we re-released our uh, fundamentals of online testing course yet? Or I know a lot of the validity threats are in that course. I just wasn't sure if it was available right now. Yes, yes. The um, fundamental timeline testing course is, uh, is available online. Cool. Great. Thank you both, uh, Bob and Jimmy. I want to shift a little bit away because we have some other questions. Uh, as uh, Bob mentioned, the uh, fundamentals of online testing course is available there. But here's a, a question that goes back to some of the other um, friction ideas, how would you reward a visitor who fills out the first step of your form versus a more qualified lead who fills out all the steps? This question is from Andrew Slatter. Aaron, Jimmy, Andy, Gina, how would you reward a visitor who fills out the first step of your form versus a more qualified lead who fills out all the steps? Which, um, I'm not sure I understand the reward piece. Um, it, uh, is, is this particular person, and, and uh, use your Q&A feature, are you speaking about incentive uh, to entice the, the, the step two piece? Andrew, if you're with us, throw that in the Q&A there, would you, if you're talking about incentive specifically? If that is the case, oftentimes what we do is it, when somebody's filling out the, the stage, the, the, the first uh, page of the form, the purpose or the reason that they are filling it out is because they perceive that they are getting a product or a service or some sort of benefit for filling out that lead form. On the second step of the process, we often offer an additional incentive in order to capture the increased information looking for. Um, I'm not sure, Andrew, if this is what you're speaking about, but um, but but if you if you like, email us offline and we can uh, we can try and collaborate on that for you. Excellent. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, one other question here, and we're starting to run out of time, but if uh, if you want to take a shot at this one, a couple of people have asked about how do these treatments affect organic search optimization? Aaron or Jimmy, uh, I mean, that's definitely a channel's question. If you guys want to speak to that one. Yeah, here is the, um, here is the, the longest short of it. it with, with testing any of these versions, um, especially when you're using natural search traffic, and I think uh, Jimmy pointed out that one of these uh, these sites was in fact one or more of these sites were in fact using natural search or internal site traffic um, to test with. You need to be very careful. A lot of you, there are certain precautions that you can take in in uh, um, doing this. A great way uh, to do it is not to um, what you don't want. What you don't want to do is appear to the search engines that you're cloaking um, or or disguising um, or serving content to someone else um, and maybe content to a spider. That, that can be perceived as a negative. If you use Google Website Optimizer or a tool like Omniture, um, it would, they have, uh, I, I can't go into all the detail on, on, these, on this call, um, but they, they do have um, precautions in place. The way that they are swapping out the, the content that it should offer you some protection to that to that concern. Now, if you're if you're asking more um, uh, more specifically, if I remove content from my page and put it onto the second page, does Google perceive this page as less important naturally? Uh, 
the answer is whenever you're removing content, you run that Jeopardy. However, what we're talking about removing in this instance or placing in a second step of the process would be form fields. And those, those in general are not going to be impacting your natural search on the landing page itself. Um, I hope this answers your question. If you have, if you have more in-depth questions, feel free to email us and we'll take a look at your uh, specific situation and try to get you an answer. Great. Thanks again, Aaron. As Aaron mentioned, uh, if you do have some of these additional questions, you can email us here. Again, some of these will be showing up in the uh, blog and the journal brief that we put together as the result of these clinics and the Q&A and, and the live interaction that comes from them. I'd like to remind everybody as we start to wind this down here, that um, we have a couple of things for you to keep in mind uh, before you go. When you log out, absolutely please let us know with the, uh, the logout survey what you thought of today's presentation. We've made a lot of changes recently. Uh, we're doing more with voice over IP now. Uh, we're doing different things topic-wise with the clinics. In the upcoming clinics, we're going to try a couple of audience success stories which we'd like to have you join us for. We are, uh, as you know, asking on our sign-up form if you've seen any results from the items you've learned in our clinics, our workshops, uh, from the research briefs, et cetera. We've gotten a lot of great feedback from you and your colleagues, and we have a number of different case studies, not from our research partners, but actually from some of our audience members, clinic participants like yourselves, uh, folks from our workshops and courses, and we're going to do a couple special clinics spotlighting those. We're going to break those up into B2B and B2C as we did with our live optimization, and we'll be running some special new contests with them as well. I will give you a, a sneak peek. The prize for those uh, contests that we'll be running with those clinics will include the new certification courses uh, which Jimmy and Bob alluded to, fundamentals of testing is one. Email is another one. There are a couple of other ones that you can find out about. All this information is, of course, on our site. And please keep your eye out for your Marketing Experiments Journal email. We will send you an update when today's clinic presentation is available online. We will keep you notified of our upcoming clinics as well as uh, special announcements like our new workshops and other uh, areas where our analysts will be speaking. And you can also find out more information on our blog, which has been recently revamped, as well as via Twitter and our LinkedIn group. So, again, please fill out the survey on your way out and let us know how we did. Join us for our upcoming special audience clinics, the B2B and BC Success and Contests. And we thank you very much for your time. Look for some of your Q&A to appear on our blog later. And have a great afternoon. Thanks again to all of our and directors on the call as well. Aaron Rosenthal, Jimmy Ellis, Bob Kemper, our Director of Sciences, Gina Townsend, and Andy Mott. Thanks, everybody. We will see you in two weeks.